Welcome to a very special episode of Third Time's a Charm, the show that takes an in-depth look at the third installment of a franchise. This is episode 19, WrestleMania 3, from March 29th, 1987. That's right, third-timers. This show is breaking format and moving away from feature films to find and review more obscure part threes in history, starting with wrestling. This is definitely something that's possible only because it's hashtag season one forever. If I had thought of this in my pre-season one forever days, I never would have gotten around to it, but here we are. And another milestone for this show is for the first time I have three guests on the show, each with varying degrees of wrestling knowledge and interest. First up is host of High School Slumber Party and third time all-star Brian Rodriguez. Brian's gonna be my wrestling consultant, and I think it's safe to say that he's the expert tonight and I'll be deferring to him on several occasions. Next up is third times a charm horror consultant and modern wrestling fan, Dan of the Dead Cologne. Dan is gracious enough to take a trip back in time and give us a great comparison to the way things were then and how they are now. And last but certainly not least is first time guest of the show, Christian Monkey Club Larson. I've been wanting to get Larson on the show for a while now, and as I reveal at the top of this conversation, there's a particular reason he is on this very episode, so stay tuned for that. This episode, the three of us talk about the first six matches on tonight's card, and we'll continue the conversation with part two next month. Some sad news to report in the world of wrestling since this recording. King Kong Bundy has passed away at the age of 63. He was a giant in the World Wrestling Organization, and is in fact in a match in WrestleMania 3 tonight. Farewell, Bundy. You will be missed. So now this would be the part of the show where I take a look at movies with no part three. The show within a show, no part three. But since this is not a movie review, technically, there should not be a no part three. There should be no no part three, and therefore there won't be a no part three this month. So no, no part three. No, 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 not this fucking time, no fucking way, no fucking way, no fucking way, no fucking way. So now make sure you've got your beer, your giant cardboard sign, and you're wearing the t-shirt of your favorite wrestler, because it's time to find your seat. WrestleMania 3 has begun. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Sunday, March 29th, 1987. 
We are at the Pontiac Silverdome in Michigan. It is a record-breaking 93,173 people in attendance. That is because we are talking about WrestleMania 3, and I am here today with three very special guests. Let me introduce them to you all. First up, he's back again. You just heard him in the Leprechaun 3 episode last March, if you've been listening. He is my horror consultant, who is over here today to talk about wrestling. He is a fan. He is not an expert on this era of wrestling, more of a fan of the modern era, but he is here nonetheless. Dan of the Dead Cologne, welcome back The Third Time's a Charm. Hey, what's going on, Mike? Thank you very much for being here, for being in attendance. Oh, thanks for having me. Also joining me tonight, he's a third time's a charm all-star. He is principal, headmaster, or maybe just the coolest kid in class from high school slumber party, from P.S. I Love Hoffman, from P.S. I Still Love Hoffman. He is the wrestling consultant tonight. He's going to be the almanac. We are going to just defer to him if we have any questions or problems. It is Brian Rodriguez. Welcome, Brian. Glad to be here, Mike. Really excited to, to start the show. I'm, you know, And thank you for the nice accolades. Remember, I'm also the sitcom expert on the network. Oh, that's right. How could I forget? Over on Hanks for the Memories. Don't forget all my titles. There's so many, I just, you know, forget sometimes. But over on Hanks for the Memories, Brian did join us for the Bosom Buddy two-part, two-season, two-episode arc that we did there, and he rekindled my love of the sitcom genre, so thank you very much for that. One of my proudest accomplishments, Mike. I've been watching lots of Frasier, I've been watching lots of Mom. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I know. I'm not saying it was a a good revival, I'm just saying it happened. (laughs) The Goldbergs is great if you're looking for something... Modern. And that voice you hear right there is a first time guest making his debut on Third Time's a Charm. He is the host of the legendary Monkey Club here on Cage Club Podcast Network. Uh, he is a frequent guest on the network on many shows. He is the novice tonight. And believe it or not, he inspired me to do this show as an episode for posting a picture of the WrestleMania 3 VHS. Please welcome Christian Larson to the show. Hey everybody, it's a pleasure and an honor to be on the show and to be chatting with with you guys. Thank you very much for being here. I've been wanting to have you on for quite a while. I have a stack of movies that have your name on them, believe it or not, in the (laughs) closet. Uh, Just at the top is Starship Troopers 3. But, you know, I just want to say, I just want to apologize to you guys quickly that there's no book club today. We're a little off book, as it were, because we're not even talking about a movie. We're talking about WrestleMania 3. This is unprecedented. So I hope you're ready. I hope you've got your boots laced, your flare on, your steroids cycled. Exactly, because it's about to get crazy. Pandemonia. It's going to break loose any minute now. Listen, I'm no mean Gene Okerlund, but I'm doing the best I can here. (laughs) To start off this, to get into this discussion, I'd first like to know, because this is available to see in many different ways. Larson, why don't I begin with you, since uh, I already mentioned it, but um, I gave the cats out of the bag. I mentioned VHS, but... What was that like? Can you tell me what the VHS experience was like? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I collect VHS. I have a pretty impressive collection. And my wonderful fiancé for holidays and birthdays and things will often find me some really cool gems in the rough that she found online. And I believe it was... Babe, what did you get me WrestleMania 3 for? 
<laughs> love it. Love it. It was it was for Christmas last year. She bought me a bunch of tapes, and yeah, I'm I'm not the world's biggest wrestling fan, but WrestleMania three, of course, is legendary. Even if you don't follow wrestling at all, like myself. But anyway, I watched it. I set up a projector to my VCR to watch this on, and it was pretty great. The the only thing is that the audio, sometimes when you watch an old VHS tape, the audio on one of the channels will go in and out. It's a common and very annoying issue, which is exacerbated when it's hooked up to like a decent sound system. But I felt like it was probably the most authentic way to experience this because not only was 1987 the height of sort of the VHS market, but also they mention quite a bit throughout WrestleMania 3 the fact that it's going to be on home video and that everyone should own the home video and it's something they'll they'll revisit time and time again. So, yeah, I mean, obviously it didn't look as good as it would on, uh, you know, 4K Blu-ray or whatever, if you could even get a version like that of WrestleMania 3. It looked grainy, it had shitty audio, but it was it was a wonderful experience. Yeah, that's that's what you pay for with VHS. I agree. Like I find that even watching older films that were first released on that format kind of play a little better sometimes. They just like you say, like uh capture the moment maybe a little bit more. Yeah, I remember watching this originally on pay-per-view. So, I got questions. I got questions. <laughs> I was a little six-year-old at the time, but that's really cool. I, I, did your VHS have all of these sort of stand-up interviews and sort of video packages that were on my DVD? Did you have all that, or was it just the matches? I really don't know because I only saw this version. If there is other stuff, but there was stuff in between. It was it was just it was the live event. It was everything that happened at the live event, and I believe there. They showed the Hogan-Andre uh, the Giant press conference towards the end, but for the most part, it was whatever was going on in the stadium. Oh, and that was one tape? One VHS tape? Yeah, I mean, it had all all the matches are listed on the back. Super long play. Yeah, I was surprised. Mike, may I cut in for a historical moment? Of course, of course. So if you want to see the most content of these things, the VHS is the best way. They purposely knew that they were going to make a lot of money on like the VHS rentals and sales. So Coliseum Video, the company at the time, would put in so much extra content because they wanted people who saw it on pay-per-view or on closed-circuit TV to rent it or buy it because they promised extra content. But if you watch modern versions, another note of something you mentioned, they do not say, oh, it's going to be on video. They've like taken that out of like the modern cuts. Yeah, that's interesting because I was going to say that next to Larson is um, you posted sort of a little clip about Gorilla Monsoon talking to somebody about how this was going to be on VHS and that was new to me. So you might have seen the definitive version, which is interesting. Um, so now that's like a collector's item of some sort. I guess so. Well, I love I love getting VHS trivia, and uh, I love knowing that I have the definitive copy of something. So I saw this on DVD. I have... The Championship Edition, which is pretty cool because it comes with the event on one disc and a couple extras, just like a few matches leading up to WrestleMania. There's a cool 20-man battle royale with uh, 
Andre and Hulkster in it. That was interesting. A lot of tension there, a lot of story building. But what was really interesting is the second disc is WrestleMania, but it's sort of a pop-up video version where people come on in the screen and talk a little bit about their experience and then wow, facts cool. and bubble facts like pop up on the screen and tell you a little bit more about what's happening and the history of what's going on and everything. So so that was a lot of fun. That was my version. I watched um, I watched them both. I watched the original version and then I watched that sort of championship edition and then I watched the Macho Man Ricky Steamboat fight about three times <laughs> which we'll get to soon. That's how I saw it. I had not seen this since pay-per-view as a little kid but I was amazed how many little details I did remember and not amazed at how much I didn't remember because it's been almost 40 years. <laughs> Dan let's go to you next. Uh, how did you watch this? I watched this probably the most contemporary way possible. I've got a subscription to the WWE Network where they have all of these old pay-per-views, which actually, if you're an old school wrestling fan, I would recommend getting a subscription just for the archived content. I second that. They have absolutely everything. So even if you're not watching modern wrestling, like you can watch, I think, every Nitro from WCW. You can watch every Raw, SmackDown, every pay-per-view. They got the Royal Rumbles. We might have to rejoin for Royal Rumble 3 one day. Yeah, they've got absolutely everything. So, I mean, I watched it on that. Um, I can't speak for how complete this version is. Um, I, I don't recall any uh, mentions of, you know, the, of the show being available on home video or anything like that. Uh, doesn't mean it didn't happen. Did they remove Jesse Ventura's remarks by any chance? Some of his off-color color commentary? <laughs> oh, I got... I got some pretty interesting comments from from Jesse Ventura. So no, the answer is no. They they kept that stuff. In. <laughs> yeah, stuff that may not have aged quite so well. Yeah, I, I, as far as I know, they don't censor any of that. Though they do put a disclaimer up in front of a lot of the old Monday Night Raws because there are definitely some signs in the audience that are not PC. So yeah, I don't think that they do any uh, editing on on that stuff. So I'm pretty sure I got all of Jesse Ventura. But yeah, as far as I know, it's it's the it's a complete version of the show. All right, that's cool. I mean, the only the only real mandate was to watch the twelve matches. You know, I went a little above and beyond by even watching the extra edition and watching a couple extra interviews and all the other little things and stuff just just because I'm hosting. So yeah, as long as you were able to see the twelve matches in their completion, and that I think that is true. I don't think any of these matches are cut for time or anything like that. These are the full version, so that's nice. Right. So Brian Rodriguez, the wrestling consultant, the ultimate fan, how did you see this? I, I want to take a wild stab in the dark and say you too have the WWE Network. That would be correct, Mike. Yes, I do. And I echo everything Dan said. It's great for like historical content. Just from starting my own podcast, High School Slumber Party, I've watched so much like old wrestling because I put it on in the background while I edit. I'll just like, King of the Ring 1995, let's do it, you know, old AWA stuff. They have such great content. I really do appreciate that the company has taken a historical approach by like buying video libraries from other wrestling companies and archiving it, because it's super cool. I, I'm sure I'll mention this a million times, but like, people shit on Vince McMahon a lot. But this guy, this guy's Walt Disney. You know what I'm saying? This guy is Stanley and Jack Kirby. He's created more characters than God you know, can imagine. So this is like, the network is very important to me in that sense, just going back and seeing good storytelling and very bad storytelling. But yeah, I watched it on the network and from what I can see, it's 
the copy that, I mean, it obviously looks a lot prettier, but it's what people would have seen in the pay-per-view. The VHS one is, they did a lot of uh, pre-tapes and voiceover stuff, like I said, to add the content to it. But uh, it, it's a pretty good version because it, it keeps, you know, all the Jesse stuff in. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think this runs at about three hours six is the running time on my DVD. So, you know, the three hour mark, like that's, that's a, you know, that's a pretty solid running time. I feel like, Dan, you mentioned before, but I think you mentioned that the first half is a little bit on the slower side I, w- I might tend to agree i think it, it ramps up for sure but like all in all it went by pretty quick i was surprised for a three-hour event i you know was expecting to sort of take more breaks in between it or something but uh, i liked how it moved oh for sure i mean the, the most recent royal rumble was five hours whoa and i think that's not including pre-show so considering that they did wrestlemania in three hours is pretty astonishing i don't remember seeing a pay-per-view match under 25 minutes and we had some matches here that only last a few minutes and i think the longest match in the whole show is the macho man ricky steamboat match at like 14 minutes and change so i really appreciated the the swift pace of this considering how much of a slog that first half was and you know i split this up over two nights because I work and then I come home and I'm exhausted. So I was like, I'm not going to be able to watch a three hour show after work. So I watched about 90 minutes the first night and then I watched the other 90 minutes the second night. And I got to tell you that like I came alive. I was dozing and then I came alive for that Roddy Piper, Adrian Adonis match. So I was happy to end it on that and then go to bed and revisit the rest the next night. Yeah, I have to say like um, most of my wrestling fan friends are people who sort of became fans during the Attitude Era. And they will often make fun of this era of wrestling as being slow and boring. So I was kind of bracing myself for the worst. You know, a lot of holds, a lot of hugging and acting and less physicality. But I was I was very impressed by a lot of these matches, even some of the early ones, but I guess it's because the bar was set so low. Yeah, this is certainly my era. Like, I kind of stopped watching. For a long time, I kind of stopped watching in the 90s and didn't really get back into it until, like, the late 90s or, like, the NWO came to WCW. Like, basically when, like, Hogan went over there. But I was a big fan, even at this time, of guys like Ric Flair and Sting. And I knew of those guys. My brother watched a lot of other types of wrestling. But, yeah, there's a lot more grappling and, like, actual, what you would say, like, maybe Olympic-style wrestling and stuff in this sort of era, which I think just is... Yeah, I think it's cool. It builds a lot of tension. I wasn't expecting it. I remember them to be a little more um, acrobatic, but I guess I was really into the luchadors later in life and stuff, and those guys just take it to a whole other level. But I was pretty impressed looking back on the abilities on display here. Like, as a kid, you know, everything is larger than life, but coming back as an adult, like, I was so jazzed. I was really into it, like, really got excited about, about the matches and stuff. Yeah, it's it's a it's the same art, just different style. Like I used to be one of those Attitude Era guys who like, oh Hulk Hogan sucks, you know, all he does is pose. But over my you know older years, I guess, <laughs> I've gotten more an appreciation for for this kind of stuff because I again I recognize it's a completely different style that they're playing with with different paints. Yeah, and this event covers a lot. There's so much variety here. Like you know what I'm saying? Like they fit so much into all the different matches. Like I feel like you get a great sense of what's possible. With with wrestling as far as like what count outs are what 
you know, what disqualifications are, you know, with all those types of things are great and going on here. Tag team matches, three-man tag team matches, like title matches. Like this is really packed to the gills. I feel like they really put on a great show. And there's like, you know, endings to year-long storylines that are coming to a conclusion and they just are explosive climax. And yeah, it's just really great. Like I really, over the course of this, got a sense of the story that they're telling and that to me is really great i was not expecting to be so involved on that level like i knew the spectacle was going to catch me but i forgot how sort of like emotionally involved i was going to become because of the storytelling basically the scale of this just i really felt it like they they were absolutely like psyching it up like the biggest indoor crowd of all time the Pontiac Silverdome and one of the greatest sporting events ever. And, you know, I think when you have a live event like this, it's like the Super Bowl effect. You you get excited even if you don't know anything about either team playing. And they definitely did a good job of harnessing that excitement and the excitement of the crowd. I mean, this is 93,000 people who are here to watch two guys in a ring that they're probably incredibly far like i've gone to concerts and arenas and football games and it's like why am i even bothering to sit here and try to make out what's going on down there but these people are going absolutely nuts and it's and it's really infectious i think and also you know the nuts and bolts i've always been fascinated with live television production I worked with several of you guys back in college in a uh, in a TV studio, and I've always thought that was so cool, and it gave me sort of a respect for what has to go into pulling something like this off. And, you know, at the beginning, Mean Gene's walking around and giving sort of the technical background of it, and you're like, holy shit, this is, this is the WWF, like, at its 80s height, and they're just, like, knocking it out of the park. Oh, yeah. To do that with that technology is just, what a feat, you know? Like, of all this, the early days of pay-per-view, the early days of VHS, of just all this multi-camera live sporting event type of stuff, it's just amazing. Like, yeah. Mike, really quickly, you said you saw this on pay-per-view. Do you remember how it was ordered? Oh, yeah. You had to call, like, the number on the screen, and it would just, like, appear at a certain time. Like, we would sit around with the box sort of turned to the pay-per-view number and it was only we only had it for one room so i guess i think i remember like the screen was like a blue background with like yellow writing on it and it'd be like order wrestlemania you have this there's like a countdown clock or something and then you know you would call on the phone on a landline and order it and then just wait around the tv for it to start and then you know it would start when it was supposed to it was terrific and then when it was over it would just cut right off again (laughs) into like a test pattern that's cool but that was the cable, like, I guess where you grew up, was more advanced than in a lot of places. Because in a lot of places, to order the pay-per-view, you had to get a technician to come in the day before and install a separate box. It was more like closed-circuit style, you know? I don't remember watching WrestleMania 1 or 2, to be honest. But WrestleMania 1 was only on closed-circuit TV. Pay-per-view wasn't out yet. My dad actually took my brother to see WrestleMania 1 at the time. And I remember him coming home with a Lou Albano t-shirt for me. Wow. <laughs> that oh, was terrific. So cool. And uh, so I think cool. I still have that pamphlet somewhere, like the little thing with uh, it's Hogan and Mr. T on the cover. And they're sort of like got that glow from the last dragon around them. Mike, when you die, can you give that to me? It's in the will. <laughs> I'm willing it to Thank you. Thank you. You got it. Thank you. 
when I was a kid, I would order pay-per-view movies all the time from Request TV. That was the name of the, the channel where you could do pay-per-view. And I would record the movies on VHS, and I thought I was the most brilliant video pirate of all time. <laughs> for the price of a of a pay-per-view rental for 5.99 now i owned the jerky boys movie for all time <laughs> brilliant and the other thing is i i briefly dated a girl in college who i think her uncle was captain lou albano what that's so cool lou albano's brother taught driver's ed and health education at my high school wow and you've never shared this on my show mike brian it just everything comes up in its proper time and i guess <laughs> this is the time to reveal that but yeah All right well the the sort of punchline to the the girlfriend thing is that i was like oh my god that must be so awesome he must be so cool to hang out with i bet it's great having a wrestler as your uncle and she was like no it's uh it's very depressing and I was like, oh, that breaks my heart. That's not just Captain Lou, that's Mario, man. Yeah, I used to think that it was Cindy Lauper's dad for real. Yeah. Like, I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I, this was before the WWF really had long-term plans for its wrestlers. And, you know, a lot of the guys from this era, obviously, did not end up in the same place that The Rock and Triple H and everybody is now. Lots of them aren't with us anymore. Sure. Which is, you know, has to be mentioned. It's extremely sad. Like, there's a very dark side to wrestling. You know, these people put their bodies through everything for a very short amount of time, for a very small amount of glory, you know, but it's, you know, all for us. And, like, that's I, that's another level of appreciation I had rewatching these guys because just realizing, like, wow, like, even seeing Andre tonight, like, you know, when Bobby Heenan is, like, asking if Andre's okay, he's really asking if Andre's okay. It's not, like, part of the show, and that dawned on me, and it was like, wow, yeah, these guys are going through it for us. Yeah, I was watching that match with my fiancé. There was, like, an Andre the Giant interview, and she was like, this makes me so sad. And I was like, why? He was the nicest guy in the world. He was the biggest star in the world. He made the most of his short life. And she was like, yeah, but he was in pain all the time, and, and certainly all this wrestling didn't help. And he was, like, the nicest guy ever, but he probably had a pretty rough life, no matter how happy he seemed. Yeah, there was a really nice documentary on HBO recently over the summer about Andre the Giant. Set. Yeah, I definitely recommend. I mean, it's not super duper in depth by any means, but it definitely gets the tone across about, you know, his, him and his personality and how he felt uh, while he was alive and lived his life and everything. It's a, it's a good movie, you know, but not, I don't know if it's as good as WrestleMania 3. <laughs> so let's get into it. Here we are, WrestleMania 3, our hosts for this evening. We just got to go down the line real quick. Wrestling legend Gorilla Monsoon is our main color commentary announcer. Yeah. We have former governor of Minnesota and current conspiracy wacko Jesse the Body Ventura. Well, back then, these were all glints in his eye. <laughs> yes. At the time, he is former wrestler and budding action star Jesse Ventura. Oh, I love how they promoted Predator in this. We have Mr. Baseball himself from what I can only assume was a new hot hit show, Mr. Belvedere at the time. <laughs> Bob Euchre is joining us here tonight. Well, Bob Euchre was Bob Euchre was huge in the in the mid to late eighties. He was everywhere. He was I mean, obviously Mr. Belvedere, but he was the the voice of 
the Major League franchise, and he was also on Bud Light commercials. That's right. There's a lot of crazy clips of him on Carson when he was an actual ball player. He would go on Carson as Mr. Baseball because I guess he was known for having a fun nightlife. Yeah. On Howard Stern, Norm MacDonald once was telling a story with uh, Artie Lang. After they made Dirty Work, they started hanging out together a lot. Uh, they both have crippling gambling addictions as well. So, But they went to a baseball game and Bob Euchre was calling the game and they got invited into the booth. And Bob Euchre had a button, a cough button. And a lot of broadcasters have this. If, if they're going to cough, they hit it and it temporarily mutes their microphone. So they're hanging out with him and he's calling the game and he would hit the cough button and say something lewd about a woman in the crowd. He'd be like, ah, here's the the one-two pitch, and holy shit, look at the tits on the one in row five. (laughs) What? He would go back and forth so quickly doing this constantly. They said it was like watching a jazz musician pointing out females in the audience and and using the button and calling the game at the same time. So Bob Euchre, and they kind of worked this into the uh, storyline of WrestleMania 3 that he is a little... uh, bit of a horn dog yeah he's lurking on the magnificent moolah <laughs> later on fabulous and he gets called out for it too absolutely New queen. What are you excited about? Yeah, queen. she's here no wonder you guys are here all the time the moon is full and so am i i gotta get with moolah i'm leaving see you guys later oh my where, where you going euchre's in love with moolah bailing out of the broadcast position Mr. Baseball himself. Wow, did he take off this? Oh, yeah, he's got one of the best lines during the King Kong Bundy and Hillbilly Jim match where he says something to the effect of, there's a lot of beaver all over this place. Oh, yes. Yes. Yes, That's what made me think about that story because one of the little person wrestlers is named Little Beaver. His shtick is that he's an Indian chief. And they're like, oh, what a move from Little Beaver. Little Beaver is running all over. And Bob Uger's like, there's a lot of beaver all over this place. I was like, what the? (laughs) I think I spit out my beer when I was watching that. So anyway, I'm sorry I derailed with my uh, perverted Bob Uecker story. No, it's great. I mean, it, it made me think of, um, so this WrestleMania, purposely Vince McMahon did not want as much celebrity involvement. If you watch WrestleMania 1 and WrestleMania 2, almost every match has a celebrity. Okay, okay. We only get, like, Alice Cooper here tonight. We get Alice Cooper, Mary Hart, and Bob Uecker. Yeah, I was going to intro Entertainment Tonight's Mary Hart, which also must have been a fairly new show at the time. And amazingly, she looks exactly the same. So I'm starting to wonder if she's some kind of android or vampire or reverse vampire. But she looked amazing. She was a lot of fun. Hello, everyone, and welcome from the broadcast booth. I'm Gorilla Monsoon, along with my colleague, Jesse the Body Ventura, and our special two guest celebrities, of course, the star of Entertainment tonight, the lovely and talented Mary Hart and my pal and friend, Mr. Baseball, Bob Euchre. Listen to that, Bobby. This is unbelievable, Gorilla. I tell you, I'm back in the World Series again, man. I didn't play in the first one, but I'm a player today. It's excitement. Just with these 90,000 plus on hand, you could... The electricity that's in the air, you could cut it with a knife. Well, I'll tell you, Gorilla, I'm pumped up. I'm ready for WrestleMania 3 the greatest wrestling extravaganza or anything in the history of sports. And I know Mary Hart's ready, aren't you, Mary? Well, I can tell you're pumped up, Jesse, standing this close. You can tell a lot of things. I have always, always wanted to stand in the broadcast booth with the body, with the gorilla, and the youth. 
unbelievable happening coming down in just moments. We're going to be seeing a whole lot more of Mary and Bob later as we progress in WrestleMania 3. And she surprisingly did pretty well. She is the most professional next to Gorilla Monsoon. Like, I could have just had her and Gorilla do the entire thing and him explaining what wrestling is and what's going on to her because she is really quick to pick up, like, cues and, and things like that. Absolutely. They had Bob Uecker in the booth for a couple of the matches, and they had her in the booth for one of the later matches. I forget which one. Yeah, she's in the Hart Foundation tag team match. Yes. And she's asking questions about what's going on in the ring. She's she's very engaged. You know, I was totally shocked. She is a consummate professional. Yeah, sometimes you get these celebrities, and they're just there to be there, and they just don't get it, like what wrestling is. And you saw that in a lot in WrestleMania 1 and WrestleMania 2. It seems like they purposely picked the celebrities out who were going to do a good job, not just be there to be seen. Yeah, and also, you know, Alice Cooper's from Detroit, so it makes perfect sense for him to be there. You know, Bob Uecker isn't exactly, like, a movie star, right? Like, he's not even Mr. T in my mind, necessarily. So, like, the level of celebrity has been downgraded as well to sort of a less distracting version, you know? Uh, so, like, the actual the matches are the stars. Like, the wrestlers tonight are the ones that are really the ones. On the back of my VHS box, it says star-studded with surprise celebrity guests. So I was kind of expecting more than Alice Cooper and Bob Uecker, but, you know, it... Don't forget Aretha Franklin. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's. I was just going to bring that up because it's the last thing we need to talk about before the matches is America sang by Aretha Franklin herself and on piano, playing piano as well. And now, here to sing... America, the beautiful, the queen of soul, Miss Arita Franklin! I thought it was awesome. Yeah, I mean, she obviously, like, there was a lot of patriotism worked into the themes and storylines of wrestling back in the 80s. And so this was just sort of a, a pretty cool way to sort of set that tone. And I I didn't know she could play piano, but that was that was really cool to see. Yeah, I mean, I thought, I thought it sounded great. I thought it got a little awkward when they started doing sort of the montage of scenes across America. Oh, that was awesome. I loved that montage. I mean, it was pure Reagan patriotism yeah it's propaganda yeah. i mean vince mcmahon if nothing you know like he's an exploiter you know like this is all exploitation it's supposed to you know reach you at the most primal level right just to hit you immediately and so like yeah he knew exactly what he did like a page out of frank capra and was just like you know amber waves of grain and then cut to a big cloud of puffy smoke coming out of a a mill somewhere and then back to a waterfall there's a, a guy who makes video essays about movies online, Patrick Willems. If you're not familiar with him, look him up. He's great. But he did a big deconstruction on the career of Michael Bay. 
one of the sections was, is Michael Bay this like right wing nationalist that everyone thinks he is with the military and waving flags and everything? And it's like, I don't, he, his conclusion was, I don't think so. I just think he's a great salesman because people eat that stuff up and putting it in his movies, you know, it, it, it appeals to middle America and all that stuff. And, and Vince McMahon, he knows where his audience is. He knows like what's going to get people worked up, especially in 1987 America. He's a great salesman. Him and him and Michael Bay, I think, actually have a lot in common. Oh, absolutely. I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, Mike, you didn't mention, though, Aretha Franklin, also a Detroit native. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I know. I just love that. That's very thematic. It's great that they that they make all that connection. Like they refer to Detroit. Like Detroit, man. I mean, it's just like Joey and I talk about it a lot over on other shows that we do. Whenever we watch a movie that is takes place in Detroit or is shot in Detroit or filmed in Detroit or whatever, like we really appreciate that because like the you know the city is dying and like it's a I mean it's a great place to tell stories. Like it's got a lot of history. And I just watched Only Lovers Left Alive. Jarmusch movie about two vampires who live in Detroit and it's just like they just romanticize that city so perfectly and it's falling apart and dying and it's just great this is the heyday. Yeah, Detroit is the greatest American parable, right? Like it's it's perfect and it's perfect for this time like like as you mentioned Reagan-esque, you know, just the manufacturing Detroit like what Detroit produced for the world at the time. It, it's it's the perfect location. Yeah, I mean Brian, I drove a Pontiac. I talked about it on your show, you know, in high school. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. The 80s were the time when the jobs were leaving and it was the time when Detroit was sort of morphing from this American success story to, you know, it's sort of an embarrassment. And that's when WrestleMania three happens. And it's like, this is probably a way of being like, hey, like you guys deserve this, the greatest sporting event of all time. Well, what's crazy is that later this year in September, Pope John Paul II would appear at the Pontiac Silverdome. He would just barely beat the crowd attendance by like 500 people or something like it's amazing and then you know the whole place was condemned in 2017 so it no it's no longer with us unfortunately they asked for 583,000 to sell the silver oh wow yikes yeah <laughs> well let's get into the matches so first match of the night is a tag team match, which I like. Most of these matches have, uh, you know, a little something extra, a stipulation, a consequence, a, a something or other. And we have the Can-Am Connection versus the magnificent Don Ace Morocco and Cowboy Bob the Tank Orton, who are managed by Mr. Fuji this evening. So, Dan, do you mind taking the reins in this first match? What were your thoughts on the opening match here? Were you still finding your seat? Were you out in the concession stand getting some beers? Were you still parking? Okay, I mean, I've already sort of established how uh, underwhelming I thought the first half of this card was, but I do have to give credit to this match in particular for uh, being a great kickoff match, or at least a solid match. You know, like, I appreciate older wrestling. I don't think that it's necessarily boring because of the uh, style. I think part of it is I get bored with some of these characters. I'm, I have zero familiarity with most of them. And 
this match, you know, I didn't really know who the Can-Am connection are. Um, I, I, I'm familiar with Bob Orton. I certainly know his son, Randy Orton. But I thought it was this was one of the better worked matches of the night, at least the most consistent top to bottom. I was engaged in it. Yeah, I thought it was a really strong match to kick off this show. Yeah, you have two Hall of Famers with Don Morocco and Bob Orton. Rick Martel should be a Hall of Famer. Tom Zank, eh. And those are those are the Can-Am connection. Tom Zank yeah. and Rick Martel. So I knew of, of Rick Martel, but I, I didn't remember them as the Can-Am connection. Well, what happened is, like, eventually they replaced Tom Zank with Tito Santana, and they formed Strike Force, which is a much better tag team, or, like, much more well-known tag team than uh, the Can-Am connection, which is just, like, it's silly. One's from Canada, one's from America. Cool, you know. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, I have to say, none of these names you know, with the exception of like Hulk Hogan or, or Jake the Snake Roberts are going to mean much to me. My familiarity with, with the 80s wrestling, because I wasn't allowed to watch it because it was too violent. Wow. So my knowledge is limited to the Saturday morning cartoon show Hulk Hogan's Rockin' Wrestling. Great show. Classic, great show. Classic. Where they would all hang out in Junkyard Dog's Junkyard and try to foil the plots of Rowdy Roddy Piper and his gang. And also various Cyndi Lauper-related pop culture. They seemed to work together a lot in the 80s. They made some music videos together. So that was it. Oh, and, and the Mario Brothers Super Show. But that goes without saying. Yeah, well, I thought it was, it's pretty amazing, like, even on a very small level, how much of the wrestling culture sort of seeped into the mainstream. I mean, not, I mean, obviously, everyone is aware of Hulk Hogan around this time, you know, Rocky Three, Thunderlips, like, you know, he's become a crossover star, a sensation. He's brought a lot of attention to the to the medium and stuff. But like you say, like people know Jake the Snake. People know the more flamboyant guys with the bigger sort of gigs, the bigger personas and stuff like that. So it's a little understandable if you don't remember, you know, Bob the Cowboy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, I'm, at this point, and, and you can say that wrestling is more mainstream and part of our mainstream pop culture now than ever, but in the 80s, I didn't have to know anything about actual wrestling to be familiar with a lot of these big stars because they were everywhere. They were in commercials. They were in movies. They were in music videos. And like nowadays, some of them go on to acting careers and stuff, but it wasn't as pervasive in our culture in general as it was back then. Yeah, I only got into wrestling because of my older brother, and I wanted to hang out with my older brother, and he watched a lot of this and acted out a lot of it, so I ended up getting body slammed on the couch a lot and pile-driven and everything. But yeah, no, I, I agree. This match is a nice sort of technical opener to sort of say, like, let's get into this, let's lean into this. What I do like about this, though, what stood out is that at 13 minutes and 30 seconds, Pandemonium has already broken loose, according to Gorilla Monsoon. Referee's got to get some control. You got all four men in there. Pandemonium broken loose here early on in WrestleMania 3 is all four men inside the ring. Everyone's in the ring just going crazy. I love that. That really got me charged up. So that was noteworthy. I mean, look, there are like technical aspects of a wrestling match that we could like rate things on. But if the crowd is behind something, it makes the match so much better. And this crowd and 90,000 people are so jacked up that it's, like, awesome. It's easy to not pay attention from, like, the top row, I would imagine, you know? Well, they have the giant jumbotrons spread out as well above. You get a couple shots. Like, this arena is enormous, and I love it halfway through when it gets nighttime. Like, that was some brilliant planning by them to decide. Like, I, I just have to imagine, like, they were thinking, like, you know, this is just going to get darker outside. Like, I'm doing my Vince McMahon, but he's like, by the end of the night, it's going to be dark out, and it's going to look amazing. And, like, you know, the people... 
beginning of the show is going to look totally different than the end, and it's all going to be part of it. And Mike, you're right on the money. Till this day, Vince McMahon hates doing outdoor WrestleManias on the West Coast because he loves that like main event night effect. And I agree with the crowd. The crowd falls for everything tonight. They are a great crowd. They are here to watch, and they are here to participate. And our first winners are the Can-Am Connection. And according to Jesse Ventura, too much double teamwork that the ref missed, that they played a little foul. <laughs> but sure enough, they did the first win of the night. Oh, yeah, that that's another thing I picked up on is that for a lot of these matches, the announcers will announce their allegiances right off the bat. Like, somebody will come out and Jesse the Body will be like, oh, this is a good guy, a stand-up guy, you know, he deserves to win this match. And throughout the match, he'll be like, oh, that was a cheap shot, that, uh, you know, he shouldn't have done that. And And it's just like, they're clearly pulling for one side or the other in that that kind of makes the commentary that much more interesting. Yeah, and Jesse, as racist as he is, it's it's to get heat. And he's so... It, it's so perfect because, like, his excuses sometimes are just amazing, like, of why somebody lost or something. Like, I love it. I, I 100% agree with that. Yeah, he's the bad guy and Gorilla's the good guy, you know? It's just the same as in the ring. They're wrestling on Mike, and I just really got into that as well and tried to pick up on who had the better improv skills. And Gorilla Monsoon is just much more natural because he's not doing a character, and Jesse Ventura at times is stretching to either be funny or rude or controversial or something and it's i mean it's part of the charm you know i mean again this is all exploitation so you're supposed to hate that character absolutely yeah and i was i was very entertained by the back and forth of jesse and gorilla monsoon and i was thinking you know the the wrestling i'm most familiar with is um jerry the king lawler and uh you know the guy in the cowboy hat who's like by god jim ross Jim Ross. And they're good, but... Uh, I was going to say Andy Kaufman. (laughs) But as far as I'm concerned, they don't hold a candle to Jesse and and Gorilla during this event. And a little extra bit of trivia is that the ref for this match is Joe Morello, who is the son of Gorilla Monsoon. Huh. Well, adopted son. And he'll referee the main event. And of course, he tragically died in a car accident. And it just destroyed Gorilla Monsoon. I mean, obviously. As it would. I mean... Yeah, so I guess uh, that's the first match. Pretty good little kickoff. If you found your seat by now, maybe you're half a beer in, you're ready to go, and we're on to match two, which is a full Nelson challenge. I love it. I love that. Like, I love these little, like, stipulations. And we have Billy Jack Hayes versus Hercules Hernandez, who is, as far as I'm concerned, the actual Hercules, who is the, you know, half god, half human. Excuse me, Mike. His name, his name is Billy Jerk Hayes. <laughs> Get it right. This is our introduction to Bobby the Brain Heenan, which, you know, this is the first time I, I've seen him, but he he ends up being a very integral part of the events going on. And right off the bat, it's he's the perfect Weasley manager. That's funny you'd say that because that was another one of his nicknames, the Weasel, Bobby <laughs> the Brain Heenan. I mean, Larson, this guy is legendary. So good so good he's like the greatest manager in wrestling history great broadcaster too he looks like jeffrey jones playing criswell and ed wood (laughs) which is fucking fantastic (laughs) like the guy is amazing like i just i don't know like he's a he's again like all these guys are just such great showmen he's a good actor he's got such a great knack for it i always just kind of assume that a wrestling manager is just some guy who stands by the ring and shouts and looks disapprovingly and maybe hits someone with a chair at the end. 
but watching this and there's you know there's Bobby Heenan, there's the the Mouth of the South guy. Oh, Jimmy Hart, we'll get to him. Yeah. There's Mr. Slick. Oh, the Slickster. Mr. Fuji. It's the age of the manager. It's it's wonderful. And there's a real art to it. It's like you're a hype man. You know, you've got to do a lot of improvisational speaking. It, it's a completely different skill set a lot of times from being an actual wrestler. But there is a lot more to it than, than what I originally thought. A lot of what I've come to understand, especially this early wrestling, to be is misdirection. You know, it's like a magic trick. And the manager is like one of those trump cards where he, you know, is a distraction. He's a part of the show. He's actually there to help communicate moves sometimes between the wrestlers and other people involved in the show. Like, yeah, there's so many duties that, you know, he's there to perform. And it's just such like an organic part of the entire show. So what did you guys think of this match? Dan, any opening thoughts on the full Nelson challenge? You know, it's it's always amusing to me when I watch the older wrestling. Like, this was a time when a full Nelson was a finisher, you know? It's also, you have Jake Roberts, whose finisher was a DDT. Nowadays, you see, like, you see 18 DDTs in a show. So uh, I thought the match worked really well. I like both of these guys, Billy Jack Hayes and, and Hercules. I was a little bit underwhelmed by it being a full Nelson challenge, though. <laughs> and I was also kind of pissed off that it ended in a double countout. You know, like, this is, this is WrestleMania. This is the biggest wrestling event of the year. And you're going to have a double countout in the second match. Like, that kind of ticked me off. But... I did love the turn at the end where Hercules takes his big giant chain and cuts open Billy Jack's face, you know, so at least it ended on an exciting note. But in terms of a match, this was, I think I was mostly underwhelmed with this one. Yeah, we get blood for the first time tonight at 28 minutes, 7 seconds. And yeah, what I liked about this match is that these guys, it felt like um, someone fighting a mirror, like they were very evenly matched. Yes, they looked very similar. <laughs> Yeah, and as far as the double count-out kind of thing, I, I mentioned earlier, like, this show's going to have a little bit of everything, and maybe it did come a little too soon, because later in the show, people are going to be walking outside, like, there's going to be, like, full-length matches outside of the ring for, you know, <laughs> so, like, maybe this count-out did come a little too early in the show, but I like that they're trying everything tonight. Yeah, I was actually surprised with this match. It was better than I thought it would be because, like, Hercules Hernandez is known as a terrible worker. And Billy Jack Haynes, believe it or not, I had no idea who that was. Oh, Mr. Oregon himself? <laughs> oh, yeah, he was really representing uh, Oregon State University. Like, this guy trained at Stu Hart's Dungeon, too. So, I mean, he's no slouch or anything. It's clear that they want to push him to be a star and it just never came to be, but I agree with what you said, Dan. You would never see a double countout today in a WrestleMania, because people would just be like, what the hell? You, you would definitely see a controversial finish. But not this way. But a double countout is the most boring ending <laughs> for a, a WrestleMania match. And it's funny, because the one thing I noticed from like today's product, compared to what we were watching here in WrestleMania 3, was when the... Fa Sorry, I keep like using wrestling terminology like a nerd. No, that's okay. When the good guys win... It's okay, right? But when the bad guys win, you have to do some kind of thing at the end to ensure that the good guy like goes away with his honor. Yeah, like there's a lot of 
post-bell action tonight as well, right? And it starts in this match when Hercules takes the chain to Billy Jack to just to let you know that even though it's a disqualification, Hercules the loser because, you know, he attacked after the bell and that's unsportsmanlike, you know? So even if you don't like Billy Jack, he is the good guy tonight. Yeah, but when, like, the junkyard dog does it after the bell, it's, like, cool. You know, like, it, everyone's okay with it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I mean, that goes back to the commentators sort of taking sides. Like, there will be matches where Jesse is like, I can't believe he got away with that cheap shot. And then in the next match, they'll be like, what'd you think of that one, Jesse? And he'll be like, I didn't see anything. You know, sometimes you gotta bend the rules a little bit. Yeah, the narrative is so clean cut. It didn't happen if I wasn't watching. <laughs> All right, that was good. Um, so match three here. Oh. This caught me off guard. I did not remember this. This is a bit controversial these days, but match three is a six-man mixed tag team match. In one corner, we have King Kong Bundy and his partners Little Tokyo and Lord Littlebrook, who are little people. So the idea here is you have one big guy and two little people and they're gonna face off against hillbilly jim and his partners little beaver and the haiti kid yeah so this is a mixed six-man tag team match oh man you, you know mike you said little people a bunch of times and i wish the announcers of the show had gone to such pains to to say little people i think they squeeze in midget as many times as they can absolutely I mean, I, in, in their defense, I don't think there really was another word in 1987 that people were using. However, you can tell that, like, Mean Gene is using it because it's the only word to use, and that other people are using it in a more derogatory tone, and that's the issue. Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. No, this this is by far my least favorite match of the night because again this is wrestlemania right this is the biggest wrestling event of the year a lot of storylines are culminating with these matches and you're gonna waste my time <laughs> with this bullshit <laughs> match this mixed tag match like i couldn't have cared less about it i may be unnecessarily harsh on it i don't know what you guys thought but i thought this was a complete waste of my time i zoned out so many times during that match just waiting for it to be done in the history of wrestling what they called, and I'm using air quotes that you can't see, midget wrestling, which is, you know, the little people, and women's wrestling were always the sideshows. And it makes me think of where women's wrestling is today, because if rumor is true, women are going to main event WrestleMania this year. That's true, yeah, as far as I know. And they used to debate on these cards, should we have a little person match, or should we have a women's match? What would be more fun for the audience? Which is, uh, it's just like so dark. Which, no, but I mean, it's why we have Mula here representing, but why she's not fighting. That could be a reason. Yeah, true. Right. But this is a, a sport or whatever, a piece of entertainment that came from carnivals. It came from what they say, the smoke-filled barns, you know? Vince McMahon's idea is to make it mainstream, make it like something that is, for lack of a better word, acceptable in society. This match was a throwback to the barn days, and I agree, it did not need to happen. One more note, King Kong Bundy was in the main event of WrestleMania 2. The main event against Hulk Hogan. <laughs> he's, he's in a gimmick match. I'm sorry to say, but it's true. A gimmick match in WrestleMania 3. His character has fallen far from where he was. And if I recall at the time, like the star here in this match is, for some reason, is Hill Hillbilly Jim was blowing up at the time, which, you know, he's 
as un PC as, you know, Little Beaver. You know what I'm saying? Like, this, there's nothing really great going on here all around as far as this matchup is concerned. If I can just say, uh, my takeaway, I had a little bit of a positive takeaway from this only because I found the character of Hillbilly Jim to be very endearing. And he was very protective of the little people on his team. And all of them, when they all kind of ganged up against King Kong Bundy at the end, he called them my little buddies. And he just seemed like a like a sweet, dumb, redneck character. Well, that's exactly what he is, yeah. No, yeah. No, you're not wrong. It's pretty, it's pretty basic and decent storytelling, you know? And Hillbilly Jim is actually like a guy from Kentucky. I mean, I almost just would have rather had seen, you know, King Kong Bundy versus Hillbilly Jim or something like that. Well, sure, sure. I agree with that. You know, we're in and out of this match fairly quickly. And then the whole concept here is that the little people can only fight each other and the big guys can only fight each other. Right. And mixed tag matches still work that way. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. They, they do mixed matches with men and women. And yeah, they don't have men and women fight each other. They're same sex. Yeah. By the way, though, like Little Tokyo, Lord Littlebrook, Little Beaver, and Haiti Kid are actually all really good wrestlers for their size. Yeah, they were very impressive. Like, they didn't hire, like, from casting for little people and say, let's go in there. Like, these are all very, very hardworking wrestlers. These people are professionally trained as much as someone as King Kong Bundy or Hillbilly Jim. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's no amateur. No amateur except for Danny Davis is going to be stepping into the <laughs> ring tonight. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about him. I guarantee, pound for pound, Little Tokyo is a better wrestler than King Kong Bundy. You might not be wrong there. No, I mean, I remember the Haiti kid wrestling. Like That name struck a chord with me because I think I had recognized him and seen him kick ass like before, like, you know, on like a Saturday night or something like that. So, yeah, there's there's no joke about what their abilities are for sure. Um, but two disqualification matches in a row, like we had a double count out and now we have King Kong Bundy body slams little beaver, almost kills him. And, you know, the bell is rung and we're all, you know, everyone's ganging up on King Kong Bundy, but kind of a rough match. I mean, the only good thing about it was that it was very short. Oh, no pun intended. Three minutes and 25 seconds. Um, and then we're on to match four. And here's another gimmick. We have the loser must kneel and bow because we have the Junkyard Dog versus the King of Wrestling, Handsome Harley Race, with Bobby the Brain Heenan reappearing for the second time tonight. This is his second wrestler that he's managing this evening. And as we mentioned before, she is here. The Fabulous Moolah is with them. The Queen of Wrestling, the Fabulous Moolah. Gene, it'll be my pleasure to crown the king of wrestling once again, Harley Race, and to have Junkyard Dog bow to the king as he's supposed to. So they are quite the entourage heading down to the ring. And this match has a bit of history to it as well. There's a little bit of a package beforehand that they show, and the Junkyard Dog took Harley Race's scepter, crown, and, and his robe and put them on and trotted around the ring in them and, and just completely disgraced his concept of being the reigning king of wrestling. I tend to agree. I think it's Jerry Lawler. Uh, but that's that's a whole other circuit. <laughs> and the later feud. I am the king of wrestling. The king of all wrestling. And everyone shall bow to me in servanthood. This country never had no queen. This country ain't never had no king. And all the time but my mom and dad ever told me to bow down to anybody. It would the good lord above... 
apparently this guy has the title of King of Wrestling. And I know that there are a lot of different titles that, that seem kind of arbitrary. You know, there's the, the European champion and the intercontinental champion and this champion and that champion. But, like, was King an official designation? I mean, I know that it's not a strict athletic organization in the purest sense, but <laughs> was there a king at all times? And <laughs> what kind of power did they have? Oh, that's amazing. That's a great question, Brian. Let the wrestling historian pop in. This is this is totally Vince McMahon doing his thing. There used to be um, different territories around the country where wrestling was territorial. Like Vince McMahon's father ran the Northeast Territory, and there was different champions in different territories, and sometimes the champion would travel. Harley Race like would call himself King of Wrestling just because he was good at wrestling. Like in the Kansas City Territory, he was the best. He won the NWA Championship, which is like at the time um, there was like almost one championship for the country and they would travel to the different territories but it was it was a king of wrestling because he was good at wrestling it wasn't a literal king vince mcmahon acquires harley race and he's like you call yourself the king of wrestling your gimmick is now going to be a literal king because that's what people could relate to and that's what's fun and then you know jerry lawler to, to piggyback on that was the king of memphis you know more of an allusion to elvis because he was big in memphis wrestling he goes to wwe and vince mcmahon tells him to be more regal and like an actual king. It's just Vince McMahon, like, simplifying things for the gimmick. I was familiar with the fact that wrestling was pretty fragmented and regional before Vince McMahon showed up. And, you know, his two biggest accomplishments seemed to be, number one, unifying a lot of that into this powerhouse that would become the WWF. And also, like, introducing these things that had already been there, but not to this extent, um, characters and drama, you know, like making it into a soap opera with cartoon characters. So it's really brilliant. They go into that a little more in depth, actually, in the Andre documentary, where he talks about how he sort of combined the territories and bought up different wrestlers and like changed their gimmicks and just sort of tried to refine everything and yeah, and just make it one big organization. I mean, they were there were two in the end, WWF and WCW, I suppose, but like, you know, for the most part, he tried to organize everything yeah. together. Quite a visionary. Like, Brian, you mentioned Walt Disney earlier, and it's not like that guy was a prince all the time either or anything, but they had the vision and they really got their shit done. And I gotta tell you, as a kid, the fucking the Junkyard Dog was like my favorite. Like, whenever I heard his song, because his song was Another One Bites the Dust, whenever I heard that song and he'd come down the hallway with the chain and everything, and it's like, you know, I, what did I know? I was a little kid. He just, I was just so excited to see him wrestle. So, like, I got a lot of nostalgia during this match just seeing him you know kick ass and and perform in the ring and everything yeah these are two hall of famers i expected more because of that and it wasn't a great match to be honest with you but i could not get over how popular the junkyard dog was with that crowd he's in the top five most popular people who come out all night and and he's only one of what three african-americans that are going to wrestle tonight and and only like of four that are going to step into the ring including you know slick you know because later we have coco beware versus butch reed you're forgetting the haiti kid oh apologies to the haiti kid <laughs> yeah. i'm sorry <laughs> A lot of representation, very progressive for the day. You know, even on the, the pop-up video thing that I was watching, there's a little sort of interview with Farouk, Ron Simmons, you know, and he was talking about how the Coco Beware match was, like, to him, like, very special. 
you know, because of the representation. So, I mean, you know, they're trying, but they're still sort of stuck in their, in some old ways as well. But this is a very interesting show tonight. And this would have been a very appealing match to people who were not fans of the WWF, but were fans of those old territories because Harley Race, as I said, was a champion of the territory days. And Junkyard Dog was the champion for a while in mid the Mid-South Territory, which was like kind of a, I think like New Orleans and stuff. So these are two champions from like five years later fighting each other on like now the mainstream product you guys are more familiar with this with this era of wrestling see i didn't know who either of these guys were i thought the, the gimmick was a little bit lame so i wasn't i wasn't really into into the loser must bow or neil thing of all the storylines coming to a head over the past year this is the weakest most likely like has the least consequence <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I love a good gimmick, and I love great characters. I I say to people all the time that I'll take a character uh, or a wrestler who can really play up a character and is really good on the microphone over a guy who is really technically skilled because really it's it it is a circus and i want to be entertained and because i knew neither of these characters and neither of them really did anything for me the gimmick wasn't working i just um i wouldn't say it was a bad match by any means but i wasn't maybe i it's just that i wasn't that familiar with these guys and i didn't love that gimmick so i wasn't too into it dan that's a really good point that's a really good point you're making like i feel like the junkyard dog is one of these characters that if you followed the product and you saw him cut promos every week or whatever you'd really be into this match but like cold turkey not knowing who he was i totally get that yeah and people people seem to love him and i'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt based on that but you know you do miss all of that build up if you're not watching all that what i liked about this match which i thought is, was interesting is not only does it end with a with a pin with an actual three count um but like bobby the brain heating gets a little involved and distracts the junkyard dog and then the king makes that little quick cheap kind of uh pin and the ref sees it and so it's one two three but then we get some great post bell action because like junkyard dog's supposed to bow and crown the king and you know do all that pomp and circumstance and everything like that and and he's just not having it he fucking crowns the king with a chair instead puts on the robe and declares himself the king of wrestling (laughs) amazing i love that so even though the good guy lost he still won yeah that was great like him riding the little cart oh yeah we didn't even mention those ring carts that was my biggest memory as a little kid iconic mike iconic simply iconic ring carts to bring them to the ring which a few times were malfunctioning when we get to the rowdy piper match that's why he's walking to the ring because he wasn't waiting for his cart to get fixed he's like screw this i'm just walking (laughs) and that's why jim duggan runs to the ring way later is because he's not an official participant so he's just crashing the match but those ring carts are incredible yeah i agree i mean when you see like the footage back one of the most iconic images is we'll talk about it later but just like andre on the cart leaving or seeing the people on on the cart they don't really do that again well they still use carts but these days they uh go to great lengths to hide that because mm. I've, I've seen like royal rumbles where the ramp is just forever long and you know for the rumble you got to come out and get into the ring as soon as possible so I've, I've noticed like where a guy will come out they'll cut back to the ring and then they'll sort of cut back to him when he gets out of the cart into the ring it's like there's no way he ran that fast oh that's cool yeah, so if you if you pay attention, there it's still there, but they now they they try to hide it, which I don't understand because it's such a badass 
thing to have in a pay-per-view. So yeah, it's, it's still there. But did they look like mini wrestling rings? No, that's the thing. Like, that's what's incredible. Right. They're, they're trying to hide them now. So no, they don't dress them up. If they would make them look like little mini wrestling rings, it'd be awesome. All right. So now we're, we're on to match five, another tag team match. But this one, a bit more high profile, if you ask me. And one of my favorite promo interviews leading up to this match is when Mean Gene Okerlin is interviewing the Dream Team, Greg the Hammer Valentine and Brutus the Barber Beefcake. No, he's not the barber yet, Mike. He just Brutus Beefcake. Oh, he's not? Is he really? Because he sure leans into his barber persona later in the evening. Is this where he gets it? This is the match where he becomes the barber. Yes. Yes. Love it. He's just Brutus Beefcake, who's just kind of like a male stripper character. He's just like a hot man character. I have to do a a real quick sidebar here about Brutus Beefcake, because he has probably became like my second favorite wrestler at the time. But Edward Harrison Leslie came up with Terry Jean Bollet. And believe it or not, originally they were Ed and Terry Boulder, a tag team. And then they were Dizzy and Hulk Hogan, (laughs) which obviously none of those really stuck for uh, Brutus until he became the beefcake. Yeah, but anyway, so when Mean Gene is interviewing him, they're being managed tonight by uh, luscious Johnny V, who is Johnny Valiant, and for some reason, Dino Bravo's there, and Johnny V just, like, trips over his speech, like, three or four different times, and I am just loving it. I'm just loving the enthusiasm. I'm loving the build-up to this match. You know, I'm very curious, luscious Johnny V, why in the world is the Dream Team need an extra man, Dino Bravo, in their corner? Let me tell you something, Mr. Curiosity. The Dream Team is going to rain some miracle here, baby, and they're going down the tubes, those Rougeau brothers. Parlez-vous scramblez, Grandma. C'est la fin du rêve de la nation canadienne-française. Qu'est-ce que c'est? I love the Dream Team. They're really just, like, great to watch. And tonight they're fighting the Rougeau brothers, Jacques and Raymond. Funny thing, Mike, you mentioned Johnny Valiant. Um, So Vince McMahon's father, who obviously had the company before him, one of his dying wishes was for Vince. He said, Vince, take care of the old wrestlers. Make sure that, like, they're not, you know, out of a job. Right. Like, give Gorilla a job and give Johnny V a job. Exactly. So, like, you'll see them reemerge, like Lou Abano, another former wrestler, like, you'll see them reemerge as managers. Or even Mr. Fuji, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mr. Fuji, great example. Yeah, that you'll see them all reemerge as managers or commentators, like, for a while because of, like, his father's dying wish. That's great. I like that. Um, Dan, what are your thoughts on this match? I mean, I thought this was a decent match. This is how you do a controversial finish well. Again, a lot of these guys I wasn't totally familiar with, so I was struggling with that element but i thought as a tag match i thought it was perfectly fine yeah i uh, i have to say that i noticed the energy of the crowd didn't seem to be there as much as it was for for previous ones and i think maybe a lot of that was sort of junkyard dog draining you know he he used up a lot of that energy so something like this wasn't going to set the crowd wild and then in the middle of the match Bobby the Brain Heenan shows up in the broadcast booth and he wants to talk about himself so even the commentators are starting to ignore the match well they used to do this on purpose actually 
they used to do it like to create certain lulls in the card. That's why I think you know there's a tag match before the Hogan Andre match. I hear you. I think there's something in the way that they schedule these things because, like you said, like Larson, I believe you're right. Like they might have known that previous match, you know, since it was a kind of more of a big gimmick match, like it was going to drain the crowd a bit, and so maybe they were going up to go to the bathroom or get a beer or you know just have a stretch or something like that. And this isn't a short match necessarily. So like you could catch the beginning and end of this one, you know, but like also go to the bathroom in the middle of it or something like that and yeah it's a little bit of a strange one too i got a little confused about what's going on like what's dino bravo doing here like what is the storyline i think dino bravo's just there to cut a promo in french well there's that but he also ends up leaving the ring with greg the hammer valentine and johnny v and it becomes like these the three blonde dudes against the one guy with the with the brown hair, Brutus Beefcake. They, like, leave him behind. He's not cool because he doesn't have blonde hair. I was like, what is going on? What's the fallout? I couldn't really track this match, I guess, is what I was getting down to. So, I mean, I really like who's in it, and I really love the costumes. So is, is that why they leave him behind? Because he doesn't have blonde hair? I think I missed... I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Brian, can we defer to you a little bit more for clarification? Honestly, it's not very clear. I know behind the scenes why they did it, so that he could cut, um, what's his name's hair later. Yeah, he'll come out in the next match to shave Adrian Adonis for Roddy Piper. Yeah, we'll get there, yeah. Yeah, like, because at this point, he's for lack of a better word, a bad guy, and they need him to be a good guy in the next match. <laughs> like, I think oh, I that's see. Right. He needs to... You, they're using WrestleMania to turn him around from being a bad guy to a good guy. Yes, yeah. So that's really why... I'm not... I'm seriously not sure why they left him in there. <laughs> it wasn't very clear. I thought it was because... Doesn't he hit one of his partners with a double axe handle, like, accidentally? Yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah, he does do that, but they take it way too seriously. So, so maybe it was because of that? That's all that I could figure. What ends up happening is it's like a super solid technical match, really. Like, it very, it's very textbook. It felt like very by the... I was like, okay, it's like uh, on point, one, two, three. Like, they're going through it. There's nothing really off about this match. But then at the end, like, Beefcake distracts the ref so Greg the Hammer Valentine can make the pin, you know? And there's, like, a really kind of, like, crazy ending where the Rougeau brothers, like, try and take down Greg Valentine and then Dino Bravo jumps off the top rope to kill the pin and then puts Greg Valentine on top of them and revives her. Like, it gets nuts at the end out of nowhere, you know? So, like, I just felt like the pace of this match felt a little off to me. This is all the same. It's too bad because it is a nice climax to it. It's just the build-up didn't feel there for me. And by the way, the dream team, Bruce Beefcake and Greg Valentine, this is one of your typical tag teams that they used to make at the time where Greg Valentine, very good wrestler, and Bruce Beefcake, more of a character. Like one guy, and if you'll notice in the match, Greg Valentine's doing all the wrestling work, you know, and Bruce is more like an actor, you know? (laughs) Yeah, there's that amazing move where I think he's on one of the Rougeau brothers' shoulders and the other guy, like, jumps off or, like, clotheslines him or something. I don't know. There's, like, some... You're right. Like, he is taking the brunt of it. It seems like Brutus is a little more of the uh, novice in this match and Greg is more of sort of, like, the vet. Yeah, certainly in terms of their ring skills. But the robes, oh my god, like, Greg the Hammer Valentine's robe is just fucking insane. It looks like the opening credits to Casino Royale. Like, it's just like the deck of cards or the hearts of from the cards, and then there's like a, a, a forearm holding a hammer, and I don't know, it feels like it's in motion. 
Oh, it's so great. And then Brutus Beefcake is wearing yellow tiger print. It's like yellow and black, and it's like this big, long trench coat. And then he's got very suggestively cut uh, leggings and everything. Like, it's just wild. I'll always take a Macho Man robe over anything. Oh, yeah. He's got some great ones. All right, so on to, which is, for me, this is my second favorite match of the entire night. And also another stipulation, this is a loser will have his head shaved by the winner match. This contest is scheduled for one fall, and the loser will have his head shaved clean. And we have Rowdy Roddy Piper versus the adorable Adrian Adonis. And... (laughs) There is a lot of history behind this match because Adrian Adonis came into Piper's pit and attacked him on his home turf and Jimmy Hart hit him with a megaphone and it's just been going on and on all year, this rivalry, and they're going to settle the score at WrestleMania 3 and it didn't, I hope you guys get a good look because this is the last time you will ever, ever see Rowdy Roddy Piper in the ring. Because he is about to retire and become a huge movie star. So get a good look. WrestleMania 3. Do you think for one second, on my way out, Hot Rod going to be humiliated by someone who wears a dress look like someone shot the curtains at day's head? You're wrong. No retreat and no surrender. Dan, we'll start with you. How did you feel about this match? This, again, I think I said at the beginning, this is the match that woke me up. I I went into this match already a fan of Roddy Piper. He's one of those guys that I was a little late for when I first started watching. He was in WCW at the time, uh, but he was a guy I knew. Since I've gotten kind of back into wrestling as an adult, I've gone back and watched a lot more stuff that I've missed. So Roddy Piper has really shot to the top of, of my list. Well, not exactly the top, but he's way up there in my overall rank. So when I saw he had a match, I was really psyched for it. And I love that it's a, a, a retirement match. You know, like who's who's not gonna be into this? And sure enough, the crowd explodes once they hear the bagpipe music. This was such a fun match for me to watch. I mean, I knew who was going to win because it's Roddy Piper who's retiring. He's not going to have his hair cut, but I didn't care because it's just so much fun to watch him in the ring. You know, like it, this this match is probably my second favorite as well. I'm not sure what else to say about it, except that it's it's really, really fun. Piper's cart wasn't working, so he elected to just walk to the ring. Which is way more badass. Oh my god, it's so dramatic because the place just explodes. By the time he gets to the ring, everybody, all 93,000 people are on their feet screaming for him. And he sort of takes this look around as if to say, I can't believe this. Standing ovation for Rowdy Rowdy Piper, Jess. Well, this is it, Gorilla. He's announced his retirement. This is the last hurrah for Hot Rod. Rowdy Roddy Piper leaving the ranks of professional wrestling following this historic event. Win, lose, or draw. Big smile on his face as he has a standing ovation here. 90,000 plus on their feet for the hot rod. Well, I'll tell you, he's definitely got the fans behind him. That's obvious, Gorilla. But the question is, will all that beautiful hair be shaved off Hot Rod's head? Well, somebody's beautiful hair will definitely be shaved. Yeah, they love him. I love him. Like, this place is just exploding for this match. Adrian Adonis, you might not have heard of him, but he was huge at the time. Like, I remember this guy everywhere, and he was always a thorn in people's sides. So this was another big culmination of the entire event. Like, there was a big score to settle here. Jimmy Hart, I understand somebody's going to be getting a haircut shortly, and it could be your man, Adrian Adonis. You spell wrestling, baby. A-D-O-N-I-S. 
Adrian. This is the adorable one. Or maybe Clipper Claude. Piper, how are you gonna like it? Are you gonna like a, like a baboon's behind? Are you gonna want a DA or a Princeton or an Oxford? How are you gonna like it? You're gonna like it with wrestling and Irene. And I'm telling you right now, she has no high heels or sneakers. It's just python-like arms, and so is the trimmer. Yeah, and he's Jesse Ventura's former tag team partner, which they say like That's right, times. the East-West connection. <laughs> <laughs> One of the more interesting things I noticed about this, which, you know, is, is a big thing with the 80s WWF scene, is that the physique of these wrestlers, even the more fit ones, when you compare them to the, like, utterly ripped wrestlers of today... Kind of has some dad bod going on. And in some cases were objectively fat asses. You know, this was an era where you could be overweight and still hold your own in a wrestling ring. And this guy, I mean, I, I guess the Adonis nickname is sort of an ironic thing. But he is uh, hes kind of a porker, as they say. He's no Adonis Creed, that's for sure. But yeah, I, I mean, I remember guys like him, guys like Dusty Rhodes, you know, like these are guys, they're not in shape per se, but like they have the skill and the ability and they use their bodies. They're sort of different styles of wrestling and they can still take those hits, yeah. maybe even more so because sure. they've got more padding and stuff. But I was actually quite surprised how fit Piper was looking. I don't remember ever seeing him with a six-pack before, um, but he was ripped tonight. But no, that's a good point, Marcin, about how like body types vary and everything. Because you see a guy like Hercules, and you're like, all right, that looks like everybody today. But there's not a lot of Adrian Adonis out there. Nobody looks like Hercules today. I hate to like correct this stereotype. But oh, really? Watch wrestling now. Like Daniel Bryan's the champion, and he's maybe 210 pounds you know, maybe soaking wet. They've gone away from that with like a wellness policy thing, but certainly the stereotype of the wrestler was like the jacked up, more like Hercules. The steroidotype? And I think it's like from this era through the mid-90s where like the big wrestler is in. Now I think I think it varies again, but you have guys of all different body shapes again. I think the closest we get to, to Adrian Adonis in terms of physicality, and it's not even a great example, but I think it's the closest we've got these days, is like a guy like Kevin Owens, who he's not that big, he's pretty solid, but he gets shit all the time for being quote-unquote fat, and you know, like, I mean, I don't, I disagree with that, but... He's a guy who's in, in WWE now. You're either super ripped or you're a giant monster, like huge Jack man. You know, like they've got the uh, Braun Strowman, who's just a mountain of a man. And, and Kevin Owens is like nowhere in there. He's like the bigger guy. But even he's smaller than Adrian Adonis is. Yeah, Adrian Adonis too is like, he's at the end of his career almost at this point. Like Kevin Owens is in shape. He's a big guy, but he's in shape. Whereas Adrian Adonis, I looks he looks pretty out of shape. Yeah, it's a good match. Like I like it and everything, but it's kind of like a it's like a sleeper hold match. You know, it's more of a grappler. I feel like Jimmy Hart gets really involved like a lot in this. Um, he'll get way involved later. And I got a sidebar real quick about Jimmy Hart. Real name James Ray Hart. This guy was a member of the Gentries. Oh wow. And I sent you a clip of his song that he was on the charts with called Keep On Dancing.
this guy is an actual one-hit wonder and made his way and used like his rockabilly persona and parlayed that as an actor into a manager for wrestling and the guy's electric you know he's like a frog jumping around this stage all night long well brian correct me if i'm wrong but i believe jimmy hart composed a lot of the theme music for a lot of wrestlers for a while 100 percent correct i was just gonna say that he he did the honky tonk man theme you know um brutus beefcakes theme i'm sure that legendary wwf dusty Rhodes theme like he he continued to use his musical ability while he was in wrestling as well what a guy that's awesome because i i had no idea about his actual musical background and that's even crazier and it's really wild how musical the world of wrestling is and like how many albums they've released and how even my dvd came with like a greatest hits of entry music album like over the years it's got all different all different songs on it from brett the hitman's hitman to jake the snake's snake bite but then it's also got dark side for the undertaker and if you smell for the rock so like it's you know entry music theme music like all of that has always been taken to the next level as well and stuff so it's just great to know that it's all in-house kind of stuff too yeah and as we talk about it it seems like only the good guys have entrance music right or am i wrong with that um well i know that you can kind of make the case for macho man but he's always had that entrance music, oh true macho he has kind it. of teeters it's always hard to tell if he's a good guy or a bad guy for me <laughs> yeah just to piggyback on that too i feel like if you're a heel you can have a bad body you know like you can be out of shape because it's like people you know oh you know it's part of the sarcasm of it but if you're like the good guy you have to be in pretty good shape yeah they take it to the superficial level as well you know like the bad guy you know you're not going to have a good guy who looks like jason Voorhees or something under the mask right like that's going to be kane you know he's going to be a bad guy and it's going to if he ever makes the turn it's going to take a long time for him to show any sort of remorse or anything like that as a character one thing i really liked about this match is that an hour and six minutes into wrestlemania 3 we have a, our very first double knock and knock which is when you take two heads and you headbutt them together <laughs> so <laughs> in this case it was piper taking adonis and jimmy hart and bashing their heads together that's one of my favorite moves that's one of my favorite words double knock and nogger he's dragging hard in two come on to the south the colonel I knew Piper had to win this. It was good to see him go out on top and keep that long flowing hair that we would see used to such great effect in Hell Comes to Frogtown, <laughs> you know, because obviously he was retiring to pursue a long and illustrious film career. At least he made They Live, which he's great in. He did indeed. Well, look, Hell Comes to Frogtown is amazing. And if you haven't seen it, please find a way to do so. It's great. And then uh, Adrian Adonis makes a huge mistake. This was like the second time someone did this tonight, but he like has a premature celebration. He puts the sleeper hold on Piper, but he thinks the ref dropped the arm three times, but he only drops it twice. So like he gets up and like he starts celebrating, which, you know, it's, it's bound to happen. But like, you know, come on, it's WrestleMania. I mean, like you got to make sure that 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 count is right. But that, that makes all the difference. Like that turns the tide of the fight because it gives Piper just that little extra time he needs to recuperate. And then uh, I think, you know, were we all as shocked as I was when Brutus the Barber Beefcake came out to sort of slap him in the face and revive him and like rub his shoulders and give him a quick little like, you know, punch out style in between rounds, little Mac rub on the shoulder, get 
get your energy back up kind of thing. Yeah, I didn't know what was going on here because usually when you see someone run into the ring, they're about to start attacking someone. And then he gets down and like puts his hands around Piper's neck. And I was like, well, he's clearly attacking him. But then Piper gets up and they're like, oh, good job with the revival there. And I was like, is that what we just saw? Because didn't look like that but in the heat of the moment i guess it's hard to sell the more nuanced stuff i'm, I'm curious to know if like what happened with that brutus beefcake storyline like did, did something continue with brutus beefcake and adrian adonis after this wrestlemania because otherwise it just seems strange that he would run out like that now that i think about it because i'm trying to like put that together as well so after Piper leaves for a little bit to shoot movies, Piper was kind of holding the fort in terms of the interview segment, Piper's Pit, and then they would have the barber shop, Brutus Beefcake, right after. So I don't know if that was part of it, almost kind of like a passing of the torch of interview shows. Like, that's just a guess, because there's definitely, like, watching this back, some kind of gap in, like, why is he helping him? What's to, what are we doing next? Brutus Beefcake's story or plot or whatever, his arc seems like the least explored during here, but like one of the most developed, which is strange, you know, and it seems like, okay, this is why you're going to watch Monday night and next Saturday night and from now on for the rest of the year to see what they're exactly trying to figure out with this character what where they're leading you know what i'm saying so like it kind of feels like a little bit of oh yeah what is going on with him i gotta tune in next time and see if they explore that a little bit more yeah absolutely the, i mean that goes back to what like the soap opera factor the backstories like that is what uh, that's a big part of what vince mcmahon brought into this and you know a lot of that was told through interactions in the ring or pre-match interviews but when they introduced things like Piper's Pit and the barber shop or whatever, you were able to like literally act out scenes in between. It became an actual soap opera. Definitely, yeah. I mean, which I think it and it added a lot of weight to the matches and and to WrestleMania too. You know, because like because the matches where they would settle their arguments. They would get into these arguments backstage or in interviews and in the locker rooms and stuff. Like I remember WCW used that locker room too much where like people would just bump into each other in the hallway on their way to the bathroom and get into a feud or something like that. But you would settle it in the ring, you know? So like if you had a good storyline going, your matches would just be that much better and that much more exciting and, and more elevated. Yeah, and also if there was a physical altercation in one of the, you know, in the hallway or on the set of Piper's Pit, that gave them even more weight because that was super dramatic because you settled your shit in the ring. What scared me a little bit about this match is how everyone's running around with those giant shears and they're real. So like, watch out guys, you know, you could poke your eye out or something. And, and I also realized how incredibly difficult it is to shave a sweaty man's head because when the barber comes in, I mean, I'm not sure they settled on the right nickname for this guy because he's kind of not doing a great job. I mean, granted, he doesn't have the best shears, but, like, this seemed much better in theory than in practice. <laughs> yeah, he just kind of cuts a little chunk off and sends Adonis into a, a rage. Well, I love it because he's supposed to be passed out from a sleeper hold, and he's clearly, like, rolling around on the floor so Brutus could shave his head a little better. And then he, like, gets up and looks in the mirror and really freaks out in character. I, I feel when he's just like, okay, that's enough. It's not It's not going any better. Like, 
it's as good as it gets. And then I don't know if you caught this, guys, but before Rowdy Roddy Piper leaves, after his, like, really long sort of soaking up his celebration thing, a fan gets into the ring and, and like, tries to give him a hug. Did you guys catch that? Oh, I caught that. I caught that. I had to look it up after the fact to see if I did see a fan run in. Because no one mentions it. No one says anything. They just cut to somebody else, you know, and then cut around it. Uh, When you cut back to the ring, you can kind of see, like, three or four security guys just bum rush him and, like, tackle him and lift him up and try and, like, you know, push him off frame, I guess, you know, out of the view of uh, the home viewing audience and stuff, but... Yeah, no, Piper doesn't doesn't miss a beat. He just, you know, high fives or whatever and then gets out of the ring. But yeah, I, I caught that as well. Well, this seems like a good place to take a break. So why don't we hit the bathroom, get some refreshments, maybe buy a souvenir, and meet back here soon to discuss the next six matches on tonight's card for WrestleMania 3. that's going to do it for part one of WrestleMania 3. Be sure to come back next time for the next six matches and a thrilling conclusion. For all things Third Time's a Charm, go to cageclub.me for all the back episodes and all the other great shows that the network has to offer. Go to facebook.com slash cageclub, cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram, and head on over to Patreon where you can just support us by kicking us a few bucks or donate and decide what movies that we review. It's possible that you can decide what we talk about. Write to me at 3 at cageclub.me. That's T-H-R-E-E at cageclub.me. Do you have a favorite wrestler? Did you watch WrestleMania? Do you have a favorite match of the evening? Write in, let me know, and I'll read it on the air. Also, let me know if you have an idea for another really obscure part three. I gotta thank my guests one more time. My wrestling consultant, Brian Late Night Rodriguez. My horror consultant, Dan of the Dead Cologne. And first-time guest... Christian Larson. And don't forget to come back next month for the thrilling conclusion of WrestleMania 3. Three. That's a magic number. Yes, Three. it is. It's the magic number. Three may stub me, and that's a magic number. What does it all mean? Well, as you can see, it is already an exciting event. And right now, I am standing here with the lovely Elizabeth, whose pleasure it is all mine. It's nice to meet you, Elizabeth, but are you just a little trepidatious about today? Oh, Very. trepidatious is the word. You're hurt, you're hurt. You must be fascinated with the macho man, Randy Savage. You want to ask me any question? I'll answer them one by one. Go ahead. To tell you the truth, I was really looking forward to talking to the lovely Elizabeth because About she's the macho self- man Randy Savage and her kind of no heavyweight champion, huh? Yeah. Is yes. it always this yes. way? Oh. Wow, can't believe it, man. Fascinating is the word of the day, and enthusiasm is where I go. Elizabeth, down that aisle. Ele- yeah, wait a minute, right. Elizabeth, I'd love to talk no to you a little bit later my phone on. Numbers on the back of my license plate. You are a real charm.